now. God, thanks so much for your great love. Lord, we thank you for this time of year, even when we remember and celebrate um, Christ coming for us and your great love and the, the hope and the peace and the life and the salvation that is available to each and every one of us, God, through Christ. Uh, if we'll receive it. And so, uh, God, I pray that you would just uh, be drawing our hearts home during the season, that you'd be drawing our focus back to you, that you'd be teaching us to live with you and in you. God, may your kingdom come. May your will be done in us, God, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, so glad that you guys have joined us uh, this morning. We are on week number two of a series that we are doing here at Ignite called Home, Embracing the uh, Complexities and the Joys of Christmas. And that's, uh, I think we can probably all agree that Christmas in this season has all of those things. It's, a, it's an incredibly busy season for many of us. There's parties and there's extra activities and concerts and all these kinds of things going on. There's family things that happen. There are work things. That, there's all kinds of stuff. And, uh, and with that comes uh, some good with that comes some not so good as well. And so we're kind of dealing with all of those things, talking about it and, uh, and, and, and kind of talking about how do we um, embrace those things and really thrive even in a, in a season that has sort of a mixed bag. Last week we started out the series just talking about just the way that really our hearts and even it's kind of hardwired into us that we are drawn home towards Christmas, this whole concept. The, you know, we talked about the Hallmark Channel basically stays in existence because of this concept. There's, there's songs that are written about it right? I'll be home for Christmas and all this kind of stuff. There's, there's movies that come out pretty much every year around this whole kind of theme. And, uh, and so we talked about that and there's some things about that that are awesome. Uh, last, last week I, I shared with you, um, a whole bunch of, uh, fun stories from my childhood about Christmas, about this whole idea of going home to Christmas. But this time of year, people will go to, to great lengths to go home, to go to be with family, to go uh, whatever for Christmas. I remember when we were up in Wisconsin, we lived in Northeast Wisconsin for 14 years, and uh, I remember being up there, and our, our kind of annual tradition once we had kids is we would do Christmas Eve service at the church we started up there. It would get done with uh, sort of late by the time we got out of there. It was maybe 7, 8 o'clock. We'd go home, and we would pack up our van, and we would start driving uh, towards Iowa. And uh, and so we would make it partway about to Rockford or so. We'd usually drive until 2 o'clock in the morning. Sometimes we would drive in blizzards. That more than once we did that, or in super cold conditions or whatever, but we would take our family drive it way into the wee hours of the morning until we pretty much couldn't go any further and we would stop, uh, crash in a hotel someplace for the night. Super early the next morning, the kids would get up. We would do stockings and we would do some presents and stuff there. Then again, by the time breakfast came around, we'd throw the kids in the van again and make it uh, all in an attempt to get home for Christmas. Uh, there's something about it. As I said, last week we, we talked about uh, some of the magical stories and some of the great things about being home for Christmas, home with Christ, home uh, with family, home uh, in every sense of the word. This week we're going to take it a, another step and we're going to talk about dealing with fruitcakes at Christmas. And so, uh, so last week I told you the magical stories. Today I want to share with you um, some stories about Christmas as in, in my childhood and in my youth, uh, sort of on, on the other side of the family. And so this, these are great stories. This is where it gets real, okay? So like this is, this is the good stuff. It's a little different than the, the magical stories I told you last week, but Tina and I were just reminiscing and thinking about it this week and, and talking about the first time that I was, I was in college, I was a senior in college, the first time I took Tina home for Christmas. 
And uh, I have to say, it was it was magic. It was something, right? Like it was it was something special. So we went and did uh, Christmas. Uh, Christmas Eve, very similar to what I described last week. We had Christmas morning, we went to the farm and spent with my mom's side of the family. And then in the afternoon, I thought, let's go to the Shear side of the family. Let's drop it at my grandpa and grandma Shears and, and that side of the family. And I can introduce Tina to all of them. So I thought, that's a good idea. It'll be great. It'll be a fun time together. It had been a couple of years since I had been maybe even three. I lived in Russia for a while in the midst of there. And so I hadn't been home for, for Christmas for uh, a few years. And, and so there was a few shocks um, that uh, that popped up in this in this magical visit, but I remember driving up in front of in front of my grandparents' house, getting out of the car, and as we're heading up the sidewalk, I have this whole myriad of emotions that I'm feeling. I, I always felt that way with my with my real dad's side of the family. I, I come from a home uh, that where my dad uh, kind of left and was out of the picture before I was born, and uh, and so uh, and then pretty much he lived on either the West Coast in California or in Texas for pretty much all my growing up years. And so I always had this weird kind of, I don't know, relationship with that side of the family. I always kind of felt like I didn't really belong. I didn't really know them well. They didn't really know me well. But like once a year, I, you know, kind of get together and, and see them. And, and uh, it was always kind of a, a reminder as well that my, that there was this absence or this uh, divide, I guess, between me and my dad and just the relationship that I wanted there wasn't what it should be. And so it was kind of a painful thing for me and kind of a confusing thing for me. And I can remember feeling all of that stuff as we pull up in front of the house and we start walking up the sidewalk and, uh, get to the door, we knock on it, they open it up, you get the, the typical family greeting, everyone's like, ah, hi, you know, kind of thing, and so we're, we're greeting, we come on in, and, uh, and we sit down, and we start talking, and very quickly, it, it, it becomes obvious that my grandma is, uh, she wasn't last time I'd seen her, my grandma was suffering from some sort of Alzheimer's or dementia in that day, which meant in, in that particular stage, she had virtually no short-term memory. And so we had the same conversation with her again and again and again and again. And here's how the conversation went. The conversation would be like, uh, she still remembered who I was, which was great. I loved that. But she would look at me, and of course, in her mind, I think she's thinking of me as a kid. And she kept saying, that Russell is so tall. How tall are you, Russell? And I would say, about 6'3", Grandma. And she'd say, ah. Two minutes later, that Russell is so tall. How tall is he? And somebody would say, about 6'3", Grandma. <laughs> She'd be like, ah. Oh. And so this is the same conversation that we have about every, you know, two to five minutes throughout the entire day. That Russell is so tall. So in the midst of this, then my grandpa, who at this stage in his life, was pretty much entirely deaf. He couldn't hear a thing. And so he would, he would come, and you could either talk, you could talk right to him. You could yell in his general direction. It didn't make any difference. He couldn't hear a thing you were saying, and he wasn't really very good at reading lips. So, but to make you think that he heard what you said, this would be his response to anything that got said in his general direction. You just say, mm-hmm. <laughs> so, so this is, I mean, this is what happens. Like, again, from him, probably every two to five minutes, there would just be a, mm-hmm kind of thing. <laughs> and so we're kind of going through this. It's weird. So, so we're, we're interacting with my grandma. We're interacting with aunt and uncle and, and different things. Uh, and, then, and then suddenly uh, grandpa gets up. He scurries into uh, to his office and there's the shuffling of papers. There's books that he's getting out. There's all kinds of things. He came back in. Tina is now sitting down on the couch and he sort of looked Tina up one side and down the other, kind of checking her out a little bit. And I'm like, this is so weird. And then he'd scurry back into his office. There'd be more shuffling of papers. There would be books that he's flipping through. He would come out and he would do it again. He'd kind of look her up one side and down the other. And you're, I'm kind of like, 
I'm so sorry. Like, I'm thinking, like, this is her first time she's met my family, right? Like, this is so awkward and weird. So he does this multiple times. Finally, he comes in. He sits down right next to her. And I mean, like, uncomfortably close, right? Like, right next to Tina. He drops his book in her lap, opens it up. Now, I have to tell you, Tina was wearing a, a plaid Christmas skirt at this at this event. It was a fun uh, red and whatever, uh, Christmassy, very fun uh, skirt. Well, he, as it turns out, it was a Scottish plaid. My family hails from Scotland. He had found the exact Scottish plaid from the exact clan in Scotland, and he was so delighted to show her that he knew. And it was like his, I mean, again, coming from a, a man that was really proud of his Scottish heritage, it was like his stamp of approval on Tina, but it was just a little thing. So, so I mean, there's this whole, I mean, you just have to start putting this together, right? So there's the, how tall is Russell? He's so tall. About 6'3", Grandma. Mm-hmm. And the scurrying back and forth, you kind of get this picture going and Scottish plan. And then on top of that, um, like I said, it had been a few years since I had seen uh, my aunt and uncle. But my aunt is walking around the house singing at the top of her lungs in a way that only she can. She's singing, our God is an awesome God. He reigns in heaven. And I'm like, what in the world is going on? Well, it comes, come to find out my, my aunt and my uncle, some of you know them, by the way, I'm talking about Aunt Dorothy and Uncle Marv. Some of you, they helped start Ignite. They were here uh, quite a bit for about a year or two, helping to lead worship and helping to do all kinds of things. When they had come to Christ in the time since I had seen them last, they were on fire for Jesus, but but like this is what's happening. So they're like, how tall is Russell? He's so tall. It's about six three, Grandma. Oh my goodness! And the scurrying and the mm-hmm, and then oh God, he's an awesome God. I mean, like this whole thing is like going around, and it's like it's like continual. All this kind of stuff. We sit down to the we sit down to the dinner table, and uh, and there's a tiny tiny lull in conversation. And Aunt Dorothy turns to me and says, "So so tell tell us, Russ." When did you meet Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior? And like everybody stops and just looks at me in this awkward, uncomfortable sort of moment. I'm like, what is going on? So when I'm talking about this and thinking about this, I'm like, man... Every family has some fruitcakes, don't they? <laughs> Every Christmas experience that I could think of, I'm like, man, we've got some fruitcakes. We've got some fruitcakes, some strange kind of stuff that happens. This is the experience that I take my, my future wife to, to meet my family for the first time. And she married me anyway. I mean, that's, that's a remarkable part. But uh, today we are talking about, uh, about dealing with relationships. Sometimes relationships that are awkward. Sometimes they're weird. Sometimes uh, you get some, some crazies in the family or whatever. And, uh, and it's learning to deal with and even thrive uh, in those kinds of relationships and learning how to interact uh, in the midst of uh, the Christmas season. I was thinking of it this week and thinking, you know, even Jesus had some crazies in his family, some fruitcakes, did he not? Like, here's, here's my, my favorite example is uh, he's related to this guy named John the Baptist. We're not sure exactly how, probably cousin. The word that's used can be translated cousin, but can also mean relative. So he's related to this guy named John the Baptist. Let me tell you, this, there's a few things that we know about uh, John the Baptist. Um, and here's, here's, my, uh, here's my favorites. This is... Uh, John the Baptist made, uh, wore clothes made out of a camel skin. Le- le- quite literally, it was probably a camel um, pelt. Like you could buy them in one piece. They were big enough that you could just cut a hole in it and kind of 
drop it over you. And so he wore a camel pelt with a belt wrapped around the middle. This is what he showed up to your house in, right? Like this is what he would wear. He, he, he ate only locusts and wild honey. Like you think it's bad cooking for people in your extended family that are like vegans or like gluten intolerant. Can you imagine this guy shows up? He's like, is that turkey, right? I, I don't eat turkey. Is that, is that broccoli salad? I, I only eat locusts and wild honey, right? Like because <laughs> they're organic. They're, they're uh, you know, they're whatever. Yeah, they're, they're all healthy for you kind of thing. I mean, like I was, I was thinking this. We could just think, man, can you imagine? This guy, this guy had no problem whatsoever speaking truth to power. In fact, he would say virtually anything that, that, that he needed to say to whoever was there. He was offensive. He was rough and tumble. Oh, on top of that, personal hygiene wasn't real, real high on his list. Likely because of the vow he had taken, he didn't cut his hair or, cu- or cut his beard for years and years and years. Can you imagine this guy showing up to your Christmas party? So dressed in a camel pelt with a belt wrapped around it, huge old beard, right? Hair that was mangy and outgrown, all this kind of stuff, right? All, uh, that'll say anything to anybody. I was thinking about it this week. I could jump ahead. Of, yeah, I was thinking, sounds more like these guys, doesn't it? Sounds like these guys showing up. He was like the original Duck Dynasty dude or something. Like John the Baptist. Jesus even had some fruitcakes in his family. Now, I, I, I share all this and just to say... You know what? Maybe, maybe you and I can relate. Because maybe for you, uh, the Christmas season, maybe it's magical. Maybe it's really good. But likely, uh, you got some fruitcakes in there too. Maybe it's a mixed bag for you. Maybe for you, going home for the holidays is a, a, a painful reminder of the past. Of an era that was incredibly hurtful for you. Maybe it's... Uh, Maybe it's uh, every time you go home or you go, get, come to family gatherings, even to Christmas parties or whatever, it's a reminder for you that the inmates have taken over the asylum, right? <laughs> You're just like, man, there are some weirdos in my family. Maybe that's the reality for you. Maybe, uh, maybe for you, going home for Christmas uh, this year is particularly hard because there's going to be some people missing uh, around the table that you are grieving over and you are just wishing more than anything else they could be there. I looked up um, this week, go back a couple if you came to that last picture, um, but I looked up on Amazon a couple, there you go, on Amazon this week, fruitcake is expensive. That's $32 for a fruitcake, you believe that? I was thinking about it going, man, 32 bucks. They're fruity, they're nutty, right? They're expensive, they cost you something. And as far as I can tell, I don't think that many people actually like them. Raise your hand, I mean, I'm not trying to, we have some people that are crazy about fruitcakes. All right, Shelton, Shelton's a fruitcake lover, all right? But like, it's, it's one of those weird things. I'm like, man, I don't like it enough for $32. Like, it's, it's expensive, it costs you something. But I'm like, man, some of that, that describes some of our holiday gatherings, doesn't it? A little fruity, a little nutty, kind of costs you more than you hope it would. And, uh, and maybe you don't even like it that much. But uh, I think all of us have some of those kinds of experiences. Maybe you can relate. When we talk about coming home, uh, it's a mixed bag, isn't it? Today then, because uh, just recognizing that we can be all over the spectrum when we talk about coming home today, I want to dig into a few places in God's book to talk about how to deal with fruitcakes and the rest of us, how to deal with family and office parties and, and people in our neighborhoods, even people in our own, heart, in our own homes. 
And my desire is that we could learn to become more like Jesus in this whole area, that we discover freedom and peace and life and even joy uh, in the journey and the relationships around us during the season. You know, one of the ideas I just kept uh, coming back to and just being struck by again and again and again this week was this whole idea that Jesus came for, for these people right, that we're talking about. He came for fruitcakes. He came for losers. He came for weirdos. He came for idiots. He came for people like you and people like me. People that were looked down on sometimes. Sometimes people that were on the fringes of society. Those are the people that he chose. Those are the people that he called friends. Those are the people he came to live with and to die for. And if we call ourselves followers of Jesus, man, we are called to do the same. I want you just to look at, I want to paint a picture for you just with a few of these scriptures about Christ and, uh, and Christ's followers. Luke 19.10, right? This is kind of a, a classic Jesus mission statement or purpose statement. He says, the son of man, which is, it's, a, it's an Old Testament quote, but it's Jesus' favorite nickname for himself. He says, the son of man came to seek and to save the lost, those things, those people that have lost their way. He's talking to, uh, and practically this gets lived out in, in people that were prostitutes. In, in our day, it would have been people that were addicts, people that were thieves, people that were broken, people that were messed up, whose lives were a wreck. Jesus is saying, those are my people. Those are the ones that I have come for. These are my friends. They're the ones that I will call to be my disciples, and they're the ones that I'll use to change the world. I've come to seek and to save the fruitcakes, right? The lost, the broken, the hurting, the messed up. Those are my people, Jesus says. The religious leaders uh, of Jesus' day were taking pot shots at him one time, trying to kind of tear him down, and they accused him of being a friend of tax collectors and sinners. They, met, made it, they meant it in a really negative kind of way, but Jesus sort of wore it as a badge of honor, saying, you know what? These are the people that I came for. These, these are the people that are my followers. These are the people that are my friends. They didn't mean it as a compliment, but that's who he hung out with. He hung out with the fruitcakes, the bad people, the weirdos. I mean, isn't that John's cousin? I mean, so I'm hanging out with John, right? I mean, they would have seen all this kind of stuff. The friend of sinners and others. Those are my people. Those are my disciples. Those are my friends. The reason that I came. Listen to how some of the early uh, Christ followers were described to one another and described the situation uh, when they came to know Christ. Listen to this. 1 Corinthians 1, 26 through 29 says, Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called, when you came to Christ. It says, Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many of you were influential. Not many of you were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. By the way, who is he talking about when he says the foolish things of the world? It's about us, right? (laughs) God chose the foolish things of this world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of this world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that nobody can boast before him. He wants to show his strength and his power. He wants to show what he can do and what he does in people's lives. This is Paul talking here to other believers, and he just said, you know what? The reality is we are all of us yahoos. We're all of us. You know, we're not the sharpest knives in the drawer. Many of us, he says, aren't from good families. We weren't all that influential on our own, but God has chosen us. God has come to us. Christ has come to us, has changed us, transformed us, filled us, and is using us for his glory and for his plans and for his purposes. Fruitcakes. 
There's some in every family, right? That's us. This is the people he came for. This is one more on this train of thought, and then I'll move on. This is one of my faves. It's from Acts uh, 4.13. It says this. It says, when the religious leaders and the crowd saw the courage of Peter and John, and they realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men. They were astonished, and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. Love this. This, is, uh, this, comes, uh, this comes when uh, Peter and John had, had just done something miraculous. I mean, God had used them to heal somebody. And then they had uh, stepped forward, and uh, they had shared with the crowd about Jesus. And the, it says the, the crowd is literally, they were astonished. They were rocked back. They were, their jaws had dropped on the ground. And it says, you know what? They took note of the fact that these were unschooled, ordinary people, but they had been with Jesus. And by the way, I just love the whole imagery of this. Jesus is one of the special. They're bringing glory to God that way. But this is great. The, the word, actually, the Greek word that for, for ordinary, when, we, when it says unschooled, ordinary men, the Greek word there is, is one I've shared with you once before, but you want to guess what it is? It's idiotes. <laughs> what is it? What's this? I mean, it can, it can mean uneducated. It can mean ordinary. It can mean regular. It can be, mean not the sharpest knife in the drawer, but the most literal translation is these guys are Idiots. These guys are idiots. But they took, but God had used them in a powerful way, and they took note that they had been with Jesus. You know what the truth is, friends? The truth is that sometimes we can get all high and mighty on our own. Sometimes we can start looking down our noses at others and kind of thinking, I mean, just calling names or thinking names or just being turned off by people that are bizarre, people that are different people, sometimes people that will say things and not think about how it's going to hurt or impact those around them. We can, we can kind of get on our high horse in those kinds of situations. We can be appalled. <gasps> well, I never, right? We can do all kinds of things like that. But the, the reality is what we need to remember this time of year is that we're idiots, right? All of us. We are all freaks. All of us have the potential to be self-absorbed, don't we? We all have and have been. In reality, we've said things that we should have never said. We have done things we should have never done. We have, we have uh, I mean, we've been fools. We have, we have done all kinds of crazy things. We have been off track. We have been whatever. We have all been idiots. We have all been fruitcakes. And yet we are fruitcakes that are dearly loved by God. We are, we are fruitcakes that Jesus came for, that Jesus died for, and, and that Jesus chose and loves and fills and uses and brings home. We, I think this time of year it would serve us well to remember that and to, as if we are Christ followers, to, to remember he is our example in this whole deal. He came for us. Well, the time we've got left, I want to zero in on just one, one more passage. It's from Romans 12. And this whole passage is filled with uh, wisdom on how to live in right relationships with other people. And it, it starts out talking about living in right relationships with, with the church, with other Christ followers. And by the end, it's talking about how to live in, in right relationships with virtually anybody around you, with you know, fruitcakes and all, right? How to live in right relationship with anybody and everybody. And I'm like, I mean, when I was thinking about some of the issues and some of the challenges that I, that I share in my own story and from my own family and some of those that we encounter in, in regular um, holiday uh, kind of encounters, right? At work parties and neighborhood things and family gatherings and extended family and whatever else. I just like, I think this passage has a ton 
to, to share with us about how to live in great relationships with other people. Fair enough? Romans 12. If you've got your Bibles, you should turn there. If you, you want to follow along in the app, you can. Otherwise, we'll just kind of read through it, and then I'll make a, kind of make a few comments afterwards. It says this. Romans 12, starting with verse 9 through 21. It says this. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, and faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need and practice hospitality. Verse 14 says this. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Don't be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it's possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Don't take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it's written, it's mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on your head. I'll just hit the pause button for one second. Just say, this is all imagery. It's actually Old Testament quotes. It's from uh, several different places in the Old Testament. But this is imagery about choosing to withhold um, condemnation, withhold, uh, I don't know, revenge and all that kind of stuff. It's, it's about entrusting ourselves to God. and saying, you know, I'm going to trust God. Uh, with this unjust situation. I'm going to trust him to do what's fair and to bring about justice in his due time. So that's kind of what that's talking about. Verse 21, the last one says this. Don't be, don't over, uh, excuse me. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Isn't that great stuff, by the way? Three paragraphs from God's word. We could probably spend 10 weeks unpacking it. We could do a series on this because there's such great stuff in there. Today, though, uh, I'm going to kind of summarize those uh, three paragraphs into six statements, just real quick. Six ways, what I call six ways to deal with fruitcakes and everybody else, right? Six ways to deal with relationships during the holiday season and throughout the entire year. The first one, and this is sort of the foundational one, so I'll spend a little extra time on it, is this. It's love slash honor others above yourself. Love and honor others above yourself. It's Romans, it's from nine, verse 9 and 10, right? Love must be sincere, hates what, hate what is evil, cling to what is good, be devoted to one another in love, and honor one another above yourselves. The word devoted, uh, as in be devoted to one another in love, the word has the, kind of the idea of enduring or sticking with or sticking to something. This is something that's not very common in our culture today. Sticking with somebody, even when it would be easier not to. It's what devotion means. It's what devotion is. It's what commitment is. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Is being committed to and loving them no matter what. No matter if you feel like it. No matter if they deserve it or not. It's sticking with them no matter the consequences. Loving them unconditionally. Preferencing and honoring them above yourselves. It's loving those people around you, your kids and your wife and your husband, sure, but also those beyond your walls, your friends, your church, your coworkers, your neighbors, those around you, those at the office party, uh, those around your table at Christmas, loving them unconditionally no matter what they've done or haven't done. 
whether they deserve it or not, whether they've hurt you or not, loving them, treating them as you would want to be treated. I remember reading a, uh, an account of a, an event that happened um, a number of years ago. It was, a, it was from the president of the Special Olympics. He had a big conference uh, and was sharing, and afterwards he had a Q&A session. And somebody had asked him, they said, what's, what's kind of the coolest moment for you since you've been president of the Special Olympics? And without even missing a beat, he told this story about a 100-meter run that he had been at in a stadium that had 50,000 people. There were six uh, handicapped uh, kids that were running in this race, and all of them had some pretty significant physical issues. It was they were not born sprinters or runners. They were they were there. They'd been training. They were doing their best. All of them wanted to win, but uh, you know they were there to play. But I mean, this was a hard deal for them, and so uh, they'd been working hard and getting ready all the stuff. And the, the, they lined up at the beginning of the race. You know the. The gun went off and they started running at about the about at the 50 meter mark. One of the six uh, runners fell down and actually started crying. I mean, they hurt themselves. They went face first. They just planted into the track and they started crying and disappointment and just hurt and all that stuff. And and he said, what happens was just jaw dropping because the other runners, all five other runners, took maybe two or three more steps and all of them at the same time stopped, turned around went back for the one that had fallen down. They helped him up, they all grabbed hands, and they finished the race together at exactly the same moment. Friends, that's the picture, I think, of loving and honoring one another above ourselves. Far too often, I think, you and I can get focused on what we want, on the race that we want to win. We get so focused on that that we trample down others around us. And instead, instead, right, the, the picture that God is giving us, he says, no, 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 no. You want relationships to, to work well? Start thinking less about yourself and learn to love and honor others and their needs above our own. What if during this Christmas season, what if we, we learn to put this into practice? What if, what if it's less about us and our being annoyed or somebody taking a little bit extra of our time to tell us about something or sitting next to the John the Baptist dynasty dude at some function and rolling your eyes into the back of your head? What if it's less about that? And what if, what if we would start to see ourselves as maybe, maybe the living God put you there for a purpose? What if the living God has orchestrated things so that you can learn, you can learn, and you can also express this and show this, to learn to love and to honor others above yourselves? What if it's about lifting other people up more than feeling like this is not what I wanted to do with my time today? What if we could learn to live our lives a little bit more like that? Would that be it? Would that it? Is it fair to say that would be a little bit of a shift in our, the way we focus and the way we process the holiday season? Absolutely. Let's go on. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, that, that's obviously the foundational one, right? We talk about this all the time. But, I mean, Jesus himself said the most important thing in life, the most important thing from Scripture, if you were to, if you were to take a summary statement out of the entire 66 books of the Bible, he says, you know what it's going to be? It's going to be love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength and to love your neighbor as yourself. You think that includes fruitcakes? I think that includes people that are different from you, people that are annoying, people that sometimes don't give you exactly what you want. 
Absolutely love your neighbor as yourself. Second one, uh, and this is, I'll just say this quickly, but pray is kind of what I, what I put on there. It says, never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, and faithful in prayer. I think that's interesting language. Keep your spiritual fervor. The, the, the word means literally like to keep your, your spiritual focus, your spiritual passion, something like that. Keep your spiritual passion and focus on Christ. And again, what if God has put you where he's put you with that person around that table next to so-and-so at your work party or whatever? What if he's put you there for a reason? What if you're not there to just roll your eyes or put down or become frustrated with or gossip later about somebody? But what if instead God strategically sat you next to that person at your office party or family function so that you could pray, so that you could minister, so that you could love and lift up those around you? Keep your spiritual fervor and pray, God says. Pray for their salvation. Pray for their needs. Pray for their hearts and hurts and families. Third one, empathize. And this is just that whole rejoice with those who rejoice uh, and mourn with those who mourn. Practice hospitality. I love the, the imagery of that. So just, uh, it's a relational sort of picture. Share with those that eat. Practice hospitality. Grab a cup of coffee with them. Sit down. And, it, and, and, and when you sit down with them, why don't you listen? Why don't you turn towards people face to face, eye to eye? And why don't you listen? Why don't you care, he's saying. If there are people that are struggling and they're mourning and they're wrestling and they're whatever, would you... Be, you know, be with them in that, right? Would you care? Mourn with those who mourn. If there's people that stuff is going to celebrate with them, again, it's sort of this entering into and caring about the things that are going on with them. Again, it's loving others, right? It's, it's moving the focus from ourselves onto them instead of thinking about what am I going to say next and what am I going to do next and what are they keeping me from? What if, what if we are fully present with those around us, expressing love to them, by listening, by empathizing, right? By entering into whatever it is that they're experiencing and they're sharing with you. One author described this passage this week. I love this. He said, he said, love never stands aloof from other people's joys or pains. Love identifies with them, sings with them, and suffers with them. Love enters deeply into, the, into their experience and into their emotions, their laughter, and their tears, and feels solidarity with them, whatever their mood. That's a good, that's a good kick in the pants for me. I don't know about for you, but man, just that's the picture of love, right? Of loving people, of entering into their world with them and caring about them there. Fourth thing, and this is kind of what we talked about at the beginning, but it's be humble, right? Romans 12, 16 says, live in harmony with one another. Don't be proud, but be willing to associate with people uh, of low position. Don't be conceited. It's the, it's the whole thing we were talking about at the beginning, right? Saying we've got to remember that all of us, the, our reality, the truth of who we are is on our own. We are messed up people. That's the reality. We are sinners on our own. I mean, not only are we quirky, but man, we've got a southward pull. We can all of us be takers, right, for, in relationships. All of us can be self-absorbed kind of, I mean, we can all do this kind of stuff. We can, we can do virtually anything out of selfish motives, out of bad hearts. And we need to remember, especially this time of year, we need to remember that is our reality. That is who we are. None of us can stand up on our high horse and look down our noses at anybody else because we're all in the same boat, right? We're all of us sinners, 
We're all of us a mess on our own, and yet we, and yet we remember and celebrate a, a Savior that came for us this time of year, a Savior that came to save us, a Savior that came to die in our place for our sins, for our junk, for God so loved you and so loved me, all of us, that he came to live, to enter into our mess, to take our mess and our sin and our junk upon him and die for it. And now offers to freely forgive and, and freely give fresh starts and new life to those who would come to him in faith and receive it. None of us have a higher standing than anybody else. It, Christ didn't die for me because I deserve it. He didn't die for you because you deserve it. We, the very opposite, right? While we were still sinners, Christ died for us because he loves us that much because that's the kind of Savior he is. It changes. If we can come into relationships just remembering, you know what, we are all of us fruitcakes. We are all of us a mess on our own, and yet we're dearly loved by God. And that person that you're sitting next to, that person that you're struggling with right now, they too are a child of God. They're made in his image. They are distorted by sin, and Christ came and died for them. I don't know, it changes. It, it changes us from having a high horse to being able to empathize and be on the same page with and, and be patient with and graceful towards, gracious with, I should say, because that's how Christ was with us. He was gracious towards us, and we didn't deserve You know what I'm saying? It changes how we approach I tell you what, friends, this is sort of a pillar of our church. It's part of our culture here at Ignite. We want every person that we interact with inside the building or outside the building, every single person, we want them to know that they are loved and they are valuable. They matter to God and they matter to us. We want them to know, right, that they are, they are worth a great deal, that they are loved and accepted no matter where they've been, no matter what they've done, no matter what the circumstances. We want them to know that they are embraced and there is fresh hope and new life because of Christ. There's no room for us to look down our noses at anybody else or feel superior to anybody else. We are all in the same boat, you know, sinners messed up, loved and rescued by God who are just journeying together and growing up as God's people together. But we've got to remember and be humble who we are. Remember who we are and be humble. Anything else sort of destroys relationship. It destroys community. It destroys the church. Fifth one, forgive. And that's my word. It's not what's actually in here. But listen, listen to these. Just, you tell me. It says, don't repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful what's do it. Instead, be careful to do what's right in the eyes of everybody. If it's possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Don't take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it's written, it's mine to avenge. I will repay. You know what? I'm summarizing all that stuff into, into just saying, you know, it, the, the, the main basic principle is would you forgive others as Christ has forgiven you. We talked about this maybe a month or two ago. We spent an entire week talking about it. I'm not going to go into much detail other than just to say, I mean, we pray these kinds of things in the Lord's Prayer, right? You know, forgive us our sins as, as we forgive those who sin against us. We pray these kind of things. We know it. But I have to say, before some of us go home for Christmas, before we get to Christmas Day in our families, maybe in our workplaces, can I just say, man, 
more than anything else, we need to release some people. We need to forgive some people. We need to cut the strings on the past a little bit because we are getting pulled down by, we are getting stuck in that downward spiral, that cycle, the crazy cycle. And more than anything, we just need to, we need to move towards forgiveness. And maybe, maybe this week, even maybe today before you go to bed, you need to get down on your knees and start, start there and just say, God, would you help me to forgive? I've been hurt. I've been wounded. Maybe I was abused. Who knows? There's all kinds of stuff that comes up when we start thinking of home. But man, what if we could cut the cords on that? What if God would help us to release that junk from the past to forgive as he has forgiven us and to move forward towards Christmas and into the new year in freedom. Some of us, more than anything else, need to take this to heart and release some people and and give up on retaliation and getting even and those little power fantasies that maybe play through in your head where their sin is exposed to the world and they feel terrible and whatever. Maybe it's time to release some of those and say, you know what? We are all in the same boat, God. Would you help me to forgive in the same way that you have forgiven me graciously, freely, again and again and again? last one. And this, I think, sums up so much of the passage. I just call it bless. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Don't repay anybody evil for evil. If your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Again, so much of this just has to do with just blessing others, of doing good to others, even when we don't feel like it, even when they don't deserve it, blessing and giving and doing good anyway. Tina and I will have this conversation periodically when we're trying to make decisions or we're trying to figure out what to do in different circumstances. We'll make decisions based on the type of people that we want to be and who God is calling us to be despite how it feels. Does that make sense? So like, for instance, uh, we could be going through, personally, we could be going through a hard financial season or a hard financial time, but we could see somebody, somebody we care about, somebody we do relationship with that is in need. And we have this little nudge that says, man, we should help them. We should do something to serve and to help and whatever in their time of need. And, uh, and again, the fear part of that, we'd be like, oh, but we don't really have very much right now and it's really tight and whatever else. And uh, we'll actually have this, we'll just kind of have these conversations and be like, yeah, we'll pray about it and we'll work it out whenever in our budget and stuff. But but a lot of times we'll just kind of like, I think we should just give anyway because that's the kind of people we want to be. That's who, that's who God's calling us to be, right? I think we do this in relationships all the time, right? Like sometimes uh, somebody will hurt me or something like that, and yet I will move towards them. I'll, I'll, I'll make sure that I'm expressing care and concern and whatever else, not because I feel like it, but because, you know what, that's who God has called me to be. It's who, who God has called you to be, to move towards people, to bless even when we don't feel like it, to give, to love, to serve, to whatever, even when we don't feel like it, because that's who we are called to be. What if this Christmas season, what if we lived that way? What if you lived that? What if I lived that way? What if we loved out loud and with our actions? What if we blessed those around us this Christmas, fruitcakes and all? What if we forgave the way he calls us to forgive? What if we prayed and gave and empathized and listened? What if we honored and loved others uh, more than ourselves even? What if we put our focus on loving other people and serving other people and honoring other people well, whether they deserve it or whether they don't, because 
their dearly loved children of God as well. Imagine the impact that that could have on our relationships. Imagine how our Christmas seasons could be different. Instead of rolling our eyes, instead of fostering anger, instead of looking down our noses or calling names or making it all about us, what if we instead, what if we chose to love God and to love others by giving and serving and listening and empathizing and forgiving and blessing? I'll tell you what, friends, it's, what, it's, it's the way relationships work best. It's what you and I are called to. And I don't know about you, but that's the kind of person that I want to be. Let's close in prayer for today. Father, I pray that you would come and just help us to make this practical this season. Lord, there are so many relationships that are messy and confusing, so much uh, junk from our past. Our perspectives can get skewed by sin and by our own selves and our own hearts. But God, I pray that during this season... Um, as we think about home and as we think about even being home with you, Father, would you teach us and would you draw us um, to come and receive from you, open up our hearts and our lives to you, uh, but also that we could extend your grace and your forgiveness and your love to those around us. Lord, teach us to love you by loving others. I pray that your kingdom would come and your will would be done in relationships. I pray that you would uh, teach us to be forgiving and merciful the way you are forgiving and merciful towards us. Father, I pray that uh, you would indeed teach us to, to put others first and their needs first, that we can honor and listen and empathize, that we could even bless and give and express care and concern and value to those around us that desperately need Jesus, that desperately Jesus, come and have your way.